Good morning. You can have a seat this morning. I have to start with hard news to share this morning, as often happens. Uh, as some of us know in the room, we got word this weekend that a friend of many of ours and longtime Apostles member, Bob Torak, went home to be with Jesus this weekend. And um, his daughters, four daughters, asked me to share that news with you this morning. And so I, um, I'm doing that. I know that not everyone in the room knew Bob, but I want to share one of my favorite stories about Bob. I had been called to be the rector at Apostles and came up um, early, a few months before we were going to move here, and we, we had some meet and greets. And so we were having coffee together, and um, I walked in, and I, I said, hey, my name, you know, I, I, actually, Bob came to me. As you know, Bob came to me. <laughs> and he said, hi, I'm Bob Torok, and before I could get the words out, I'm Brian, he said, I didn't want you to come here, I wanted the other guy. I am not often speechless. <laughs> My response came out something like, uh, 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 well, thanks for sharing that, Bob. <laughs> so I went back to Austin and uh, got ready, Tamara and I got ready to move to Fairfield. And, and um, I wanted to start visiting people in their homes. And I thought, you know, a good guy to visit first would be Bob and his wife, Susie. So I, Jane set it up. I wasn't even here yet. Hey, Jane, set that up for me. I think it was the third day I was on the job. And Warren and Sally came with us. You remember that, Sally and Warren? Yeah, came with us. And we went to Bob's house, and we told stories, and we laughed, and we cried, and we had communion. And Bob and I became fast friends. He would see me often, and you know, he'd grab my arm, it was just shaking my hand in that, like, Bob Torok love grip. Did you ever get the Bob Torok love grip? Like, you feel like, Bob, you're killing me, you know, right? And he would say, hey, Brian, you're doing great work here, I love you. That was Bob. Quick to speak his mind, but even quicker to show his love. There's going to be a memorial service with Eucharist uh, later in the summer. They're going to take their time and make sure their whole family can get here to Fairfield. And we will let you know when that is. You are already invited for that time. And uh, we'll, we'll be thrilled to celebrate Bob more. I pray that those of you who are friends with Bob and know him will find the comfort of Christ in all of this in, from now and then. So we come and consider to consider the ramifications of resurrection and you may say, well, Brian talked about Bob, and now he's going to begin his sermon. No, I began my sermon when I started. I began my sermon when I started. Christ is risen indeed. Because the stone was rolled away and the tomb's empty and Jesus is risen, our sins are washed clean. Evil is bound. Satan and his forces are destroyed. Our loved ones are restored to us. All injustice is made right in the new heaven and earth. Our sin is exchanged for his righteousness. Our mortality exchanged for his immortality. Our sorrow for his joy. Our bondage for his freedom. Because of the resurrection, we can be shameless and fearless. The resurrection of Jesus is marvelous and wonderful and true. Things 
actually happened, including Jesus physically standing up and walking out of the tomb. And between his death and resurrection and the days following his resurrection up to his ascension, there are marvelous things that happen in real time. So much so that we have to have extra long scripture readings. Thank you, Don. Were you like, what in the world? 20 verses. There's a reason for that. Resurrection takes time to explain. Because it is so marvelous and so real and so true. And all of these beautiful things happen from Jesus' death to his ascension. Graves literally fling open and people, were told, get up from their graves and walk around. Earthquakes, lightning, angels. Jesus walks through doors. Like not opens the door and walks through the doorway. He walks through closed doors. And we are told at one point in time, he seems to teleport if the days match up. He's one place way away from Jerusalem, and then all of a sudden he's injured. We're like, what happened in between? It says the same day he covered miles that human beings couldn't cover. There's something glorious and wonderful. It seems to belong in novels of fantasy. The resurrection of Jesus is both true and marvelous. And yet, we exist in the tension caused by the realities that death is already defeated and justice rolls down. And the truth that people still suffer, systems are still unjust. And we have to go to the funerals of our friends. From the days directly following the resurrection forward... Christians have experienced the same tension. We call it an already not yet resurrection. The power is already on the earth, broken in and available and moving. And yet, we still have to go to the funerals of our friends. Where we say, death where is thy victory? Grave where is thy sting? Seems counterintuitive, doesn't it? One commentator writes, Having died for us, Jesus rose triumphant, now to die no more. He went back to heaven, but in due course he would return. He would destroy the kingdoms of this world and set up God's perfect kingdom. It was an inspiring faith, and a little group of Christians embraced it with fervor. They looked and longed for the promise of consummation when God's will would be perfectly done throughout the whole earth. And he literally writes dot, dot, dot. New paragraph. And nothing happened. You got to understand, when John writes Revelation... There is persecution and suffering new to the world. The emperor at the time was demanding that he be called, his official title was changed and demanded that he be called Master and God. And anyone who refused to call him that was persecuted. John writes the book from exile because he serves another Lord. I mean, this is the Apostle John who was at the foot of the cross with Jesus' mother, who ran to the tomb 
In his book, he's careful to tell us he was the first one. You know, he beat Peter to look in. And so as he's writing this, we can see in Revelation chapter 5 that John appears to be a little anxious. He appears to be a little anxious. Here's what it says. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And then John says, and no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll and look into it. Do you hear the panic? The despair? I looked everywhere. I didn't see anybody. And actually, the definition would be that John, he says, and I began to weep and weep and weep and weep. Keep it going. That's what, that's what it should be translated as. But we also have a beautiful glimpse into God's grace. You have heard me said, and actually uh, Walter said it last week in his sermon, God does not despise our humanness. And an elder comes over to John. You can almost see the picture, can't you? Like the kind of weeping John was doing was probably not like we like to weep, like a little tear, you know. When you're weeping, 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 my guess is he's on all fours, heaving. And the elder comes over. And I can almost picture it in my mind that the elder would kneel down next to John. And gently take his face and say, hey, hey, look, 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 look. The hole, look, look, look. I get it. I get it. I get it. I get life is hard. I get it. You're living in tension. I get it. You're under persecution. I get it. But behold, behold, behold. We have the Lion of Judah. We have the Lion of Judah. He can open the scroll. Let us not be too hard on John's panic. We experience the same anxiety sometimes in this tension, don't we? Let me ask it again. We experience the same anxiety in this kind of tension sometimes, don't we? Yeah. We look around and we see the condition around us and say, nobody can break this. Nobody. There's nobody to open the scroll. And we're thrown back and forth between the tension of the already, not yet, and the already seems to win the day. The condition of the world around us comes in. I think part of the problem is that we tend to relegate the idea of the resurrection to something future and heavenly. That it's out there and that it gives us hope that we can just hang on for dear life here and someday we'll go to heaven and be with Jesus. Now I want to say something to you. Amen. We are going to go to heaven and serve with Jesus. Actually heaven's going to come to us and we will serve with Jesus in the new heaven and new earth. Amen. There is hope. But if we relegate it to only that hope, this tension gets panicky. Because then there is no power, there's no life, there's no hope, there's no behold. We have the line of Judah for today, for now. 
And in these long scripture passages, if we hear anything else, we must hear this. Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, heaven and earth are now one in the same. They are joined together in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Acts 9.3, now as Saul went on his way, he approached Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. Heaven and earth, one and the same. Psalm 33, for the word of the Lord is upright and all his, works is done, all his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of his steadfast love. John 21, this was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples on earth after he was raised from the dead. John was so bombarded by human suffering and persecution that I think in this moment the earthly realities had crowded in and caused him great anxiety because he says he looked around everywhere and couldn't see someone to open the scroll. And yet, after his face is lifted up. And the angel says, behold, we have the line of Judah. We have the root of David. John looks around. And we are told that he sees the lamb. And I looked around and I looked and in the middle of the elders and the angels and near the throne of God, I saw, capital L, the Lamb who appeared as if he had been slain. I think there are some lessons in the passage for us today. I think there are some hints, some clues, some direction for how resurrection power can become real in heaven and earth. Where we can stand and say in this tension, we are tired of saying goodbye to our friends. And yet, there is hope. There is power. There is grace. First and foremost, there is something else going on in John's weeping and weeping and weeping. There is lament. There is lament. No, we have not teleported back to Lent, everybody. It is still Easter. When Jane called me this weekend and told me that Bob had passed, my first reaction was, was to begin planning. How do I tell the church? i got to write something down. Boy, the daughters have asked me to say this during the sermon. This is going to be hard. I started to think, well, we've got to get a place for, to have the I just went to planning. Immediately. I wasn't thinking these things necessarily because I'm a good pastor, by the way. I was thinking these things because I really didn't want to get in touch with my own lament. You know, by, by focusing on the earthly things, our own agendas, we could miss what God's inviting us into. And it was just this quick moment. I just started to cry. 
Some of you know Bob way better than I do. I'm crying for you, lamenting with you, loving you. I was crying because I just, I just, I'm tired of burying people. I, I, it's an honor for me to do. And I love that I get that honor. And there's joy in it because it's something I'm living into my call. But man, I'm tired of doing it. I'm looking forward to the day that we can say in real time, death really has no more sting. Where there's no more death, there's no more separation. Time and space don't stand in our way any longer. We are so prone to skip lament. We just want to skip it. We want to fill it in with anything that keeps us away from it. We want, to, we want to move first to blame or defensiveness or anger or planning. We want to pick up our own agenda. We want to make, use our own wits and wonder and wiles to make the tension go away. And God is inviting us to feel something first. There is real sadness. Why does God ask us to do this? Because he's mean? No. I believe with my whole heart in this passage of Scripture that John would never have seen Jesus for the lamb that he was had he not entered into the sadness first of lament. That his perspective changed. And he saw the lamb. We must see the lamb. We must. How do we do this? Well, the passage tells us how we do it. After John sees the lamb, there's very little talking. A cosmic worship service breaks out. It comes in waves. You can almost picture it in concentric circles. The inner circle circling this way. Floating around the throne, praising God, exploring who he is, extolling his name. And then a little bit further back, we add some beings and they begin to move the other way. (laughs) Praising God, singing his praises, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive honor and glory and power and majesty and strength and might and dominion. And then it goes further back, and John can't count it anymore. He can't count it anymore. This, this term, thousands upon thousands, are like, it's too many. I can't count it. And they're moving the other way. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive honor and glory. You hear it? We read these passages, and we think to ourselves, oh, that's nice. But that's not why John wrote the book of Revelations. That's not why the Holy Spirit inspired the book of Revelations. That's not what worship is going on right now in the heavenlies. For us to look back and say, oh, that's nice. No, we are called up to join the very same worship service because heaven and earth are now one in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what we're doing here today. I know it's raining outside. It's gloomy. I get it. We come to see the Lamb on Sundays together. We come and see the Lamb when we spend time with our brothers and sisters in Christ. We're drawn up to a cosmic worship service. And today we're going to join it. We're going to literally join it in the words 
of angels and archangels and all the companies of heaven who forever sing this hymn to proclaim the glory of your name. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. We have to lament. We must see the Lamb. And lastly, to live in resurrection power, we must rehearse how God is at work making all things new around us. For us to live in resurrection tension and to see heaven and earth joined through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we must lament. Our first move has to be lament over what is. Many of us are lamenting in the room for lost loved ones, broken families, children who are far from God, systematic injustice. And then we must see the Lamb through worshiping Him, through joining the worship of God that is happening in the cosmos right now, but not only there. Because if heaven and earth are joined together through the resurrection of the Lamb, then the worship service happens here too. And lastly, we must rehearse. We must pay attention. I love that word. We must pay attention to the lament, to the the systems, to the injustice, to the hurting, and rehearse how God is meeting that need and to join him. I offer this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.